0: Welcome to The Sit-Down, a crime history podcast presented by Barstool Sports. Here's your host, Jeff Nadeau. What's up, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of The Sit-Down. As always, if you enjoy this video and you're watching us on YouTube, do me a favor. Make sure you hit that like button so you never miss another sit-down video. If you're enjoying the content, please make sure you comment as well. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss another sit-down video if you're checking us out and listening through our audio platforms currently on iTunes, Spotify, Google Pods, or wherever you get your podcast, Welcome in. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Make sure you leave us a detailed review and give us a five-star rating. It helps improve the show in ways you don't know. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? We are back for another episode of The Sit-Down this is episode 110. I am your host, Jeff Nadeau, and we are presented by Barstool Sports. And today we get back in to another member of Organized Crime. And, you know, on this channel, on this podcast, over the years, I've discussed many of the mob informants, men that took the oath of the mafia or were associates of the mafia and decided... That even after making all the money they made, doing all the dirt they did, they wanted to become witnesses and testify against their mob brethren to save their own skin. We've talked about people like Sal Vitale, Joey Messino, John Alight, Dom Sakali, and even interviewed people like Sammy Gravano. But today we're going to talk about probably a guy you've never heard of, who is one of the more destructive mob witnesses really over the last 20 years. We're going to get into the sickening story of Frank Joya. And we're also going to get in to his behavior after his cooperation that is even more sickening. We talked last week about Vinny Ocean and some of his behavior after the fact. But Frank Joya One thing we can be said about his involvement his life and his subsequent involvement in failed businesses since his defection, disgusting. Story next on the sit down. As always, before we get into the show, I wanna thank everybody for checking it out. Whether you're watching us, listening to us, whatever you're doing, thank you for being here. Um, Already 110 episodes. It's nice to continue to put out content, and I'm glad we continue to grow every week. Make sure you have participation in the show. That's all I can ask. Show love to the sponsors that we have, whether it's Harry's or FitBod. Go check out Barstool Sports. If you're in a competing state, make sure you're checking out the Barstool Sportsbook. A lot of great wagering action. Get the NBA Finals coming up. Get MLB. You got all sorts of cool things to bet on. Barstool Sportsbook if you're in a qualifying state. All right, let's get into it. Frank Joya Jr. on the sit-down. Frank Joya was born August 10th, 1967 in New York. He would grow up in Little Italy. Now, as we know, any place called Little Italy is going to have a major mob presence. Now, listen, I'll tell you right now. When we're talking about Little Italy in 2023, is there a major mob presence? Not noticeable. There are still gangsters though in Little Italy. If you've ever been to Cafe Palermo, that is owned by a Geno- or a Gambino a soldier. If you've ever been to Lombardi's Pizzeria, that is owned by a Genovese capo. Okay. Mulberry Street, Grand Street, you know, Elizabeth Mott, they they all have mobsters around nowadays. The difference is it's not crawling with mobsters and they don't sit outside and, and congregate like they used to. It's definitely a smaller presence, but Little Italy still alive and well. Now, for Frank Gioia, being from Little Italy was very important because he was born into the mafia. His father, Frank Gioia Sr., who would be born in 1949, was actually made into the Lucchese crime family in the late 70s, most notably in 1978. Now, there have been some kind of questions on whether Frank Joy's father, Frank Sr., was in the Lucchese family or the Genovese crime family. According to one of the best websites on the mafia as far as ceremonies that I know of, LCN Blogspot, they would state that in mid-1978, Frank Joya Sr. would become a made member alongside two other uh, people in the Lucchese crime family. Now, I'm sure... Frank Joya also had connections to the Genovese as well. Um, But as far as I know, Frank Joya Sr. was a member of the Lucchese crime family. Now, for young uh, Frank Joya, he would begin running the streets. And by the age of 12, he was already very much involved with understanding the mob rackets. He knew what bookmaking was, he knew what loan sharking was. Now, it wasn't just Frank Joya's father that was involved in the mafia. It was also said that his grandfather actually had a social club on Grand Street. Now, I want to kind of discuss a bit of the layout of Lucchese's in Little Italy because having a social club on Grand Street in the middle of Little Italy was important. If you know anything about the Lucchese family, really back until the 50s, they have had a major presence in Little Italy, most notably on Prince Street. The Prince Street crew was very formidable. In fact, Joe Beck di Palermo, a guy we did a show on uh, a long time ago, uh, is really one of the more underrated members ever in the Lucchese crime family. Joe Beck headed the Prince Street crew. He's one of the biggest drug dealers in the history of the mafia. This is a guy that moved heaps and heaps of heroin and other drugs, it was very close to Carmine Galanti. In fact, as we know by the Joe Beck episode, Joe Beck was actually. Uh, supposedly the driver in the Carlo Profeta hit, um, or not Carlo Profeta, Carlo Tresca. <laughs> I'm getting my Carlos mixed up. He was the driver in the Carlo Tresca hit uh, involving Carmine Galanti. Many people believe uh, he was involved heavily in that. Now, alongside his brothers, including Charlie Beck di Palermo, these guys ran Prince Street and they were the seeing eyes for the Lucchese family in Little Italy. And it's probable... That Frank Joya, his father and his grandfather were involved in some way with someone in this group. Now, I'll talk about down the road in a bit Frank Joya Junior's connection and how he got involved with the drug trade. But by his teenage years, Frank Joya is not really learning much in school. He's learning mob brackets. He's doing what he has to do. And as we've talked about time and time again on this channel and on this podcast. Most of the individuals that become gangsters, their futures have been decided for them already. They're born into the life. They follow in the footsteps of their grandfather, their father, their uncle. This life is already decided for them a lot of the time. And to go in and become a regular person, a regular citizen, working a nine to five is hard to do. And that's why criminality, whether it's Italians, Blacks, Russians, Spanish, it doesn't matter. All of these people are presented with the same option. OK, do I go work at McDonald's or work as a letter carrier or a mechanic and make peanuts? Or do I go become a major drug dealer, a mobster, a gangster and make thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars a week? Why, why would I? It doesn't matter what location you're born into, whether it's a black neighborhood, whatever neighborhood. The, the, the aura and in being involved in the streets is way too hard. And for people like Frank Joya Jr., um, he had his future decided for him. Now for Frank Joya, he um, would become and get to know uh, a pretty interesting individual, a guy called Ralph Cuomo, uh, a.k.a. Rafi Cuomo. Uh, if you know anything about Prince Street, if you know anything about Little Italy, Ralph Cuomo is a household name. In fact, a lot of people aren't aware that Ralph Cuomo was actually the original owners of Ray's Pizza on Prince Street. Back in the late 50s, Ralph Cuomo would purchase the location and create the pizzeria. Now, not only was Ralph Cuomo a pizza shop owner, but he also moonlighted as a major heroin dealer. In fact, uh, in 2008, the building would be sold after he died. Now, he had done much prison time, and he was very connected very connected in Little Lily, was very connected with the De Palermo. As a fact, it's actually said that Ralph Cuomo uh, would actually marry into the De Palermo family. So he was very close to Joe Beck, Charlie Beck, um, and was a very loyal soldier to the mafia. And this is really where Frank Joya, as he gets into his late teenage years and his early 20s, not only does he begin um, selling guns and selling marijuana, but he also graduates eventually to selling heroin, and that was done through Ralph Cuomo. Now, it must be said that Ray's Pizza is not owned by the mafia currently. Um, However, um, there's a lot of involvement in the 80s with Ray's. Uh, It's just that simple. Sorry, I thought I had to sneeze there for a second. Uh, So Frank Joy is moving around. He's selling guns. He's selling drugs. He's doing what he has to do to prove his worth to the mafia, and most notably, he wanted to be in the Lucchese crime family. That was the goal because that is all he had ever been around. Um, it's also said that by 18 years old, Frank Joya was also involved with uh enforcing duties. At one point, it's alleged that in 1985, at the age of 18, Frank Joya would go to a club uh, in which a bouncer would disrespect someone close to him who was just noted as a Lucchese mobster. Now, according to reports, Frank Joya would shoot the bouncer and then stick a gun in his mouth and threaten to then kill him next time if he screwed around again. The bouncer would be shot in the leg. So again, guys, what do we know about these mob families? They're always looking for new blood. And Frank Joya is making his presence felt throughout multiple levels. The drug trade, making money, doing things to impress people. Plus, he has the bloodlines. His father is in the life. His grandfather was connected to the life. This is the exact type of person you want in the ranks of your family. But at this point, in the mid to late 80s, Frank Joya is still an associate. Now eventually Joya would get connected with Georgie Neck Zapola, who was a big-time Lucchese family kappa regime, very respected as well. So he's being he's around a lot of good guys as far as mob guys. He's around Cuomo. He's around Georgie Neck Zapola um, Now, at one point, Joy would tell a story that in the late 80s, when he was hanging out at one point with Cuomo, he would say that is where he would first meet uh, John Gotti. According to him, uh, Joy would say that he was hanging out with Cuomo one night when they went into the Hawaiian Moonlighter Social Club. Now, we talked about the Hawaiian Moonlighters when we discussed Joe Butch Correo, who ran that club in Little Italy. Uh, I guess at one point, Look, as we know, Gotti was a big gambler, liked to play cards, liked to gamble. He would go to the Moonlighters Club to play cards with a Joe Beck Di Palermo, allegedly. Uh, and this is where Cuomo would introduce Frank Joya, supposedly to John Gotti. Now, this is not the last time that Joya and his connection to the Gotti family would prove important. So remember that. This is something important. So by the late 80s, Joy is young. I mean, Joy is still, you know, his early. By the, like 1987, Joy is only 20 years old, right? But his goal is he wants to become a made man. He's got his fingers in a lot of different pies. He's doing what he's got to do. He's impressing people. Um, And look, I mean, being made in your early 20s is pretty unheard of. I mean, there's not many people that have done that. I mean, we've. Talked on this show many times. I mean, generally when you're made, I mean, it, it's generally 40, 50 years old. I mean, there are people that aren't made until their 70s. Frank Joy is on the precipice in his early to mid-20s to becoming a made man. It's exactly what would happen on October 2nd, 1991. Frank Joya would get the call and he would be driven to a home in Howard Beach, Queens by his cousin, Frank Frankie Bones, Papani, and he would go to the home and, you know, look, Joya, like most mobsters know, when you get that call, they tell you to dress up, you know that's going to be your night. Frank Joya, alongside four other individuals, would become a made member of the Lucchese crime family on October 2nd, 1991. He would say that the ceremony was preceded over by Lucchese, Consigliere, Big Frank Lastorino, as well as Anthony Barada and Salvatore Avellino. Now, Avellino at the time was supposed to be the person that uh, ran the ceremony. Now, I want to tell you a little bit more about who else was there that night uh, for the making ceremony of Frank Gioia. His uh, sponsor was Georgie Zappola. The problem for Zappola was... He was on the run due to facing prosecution for the government. So that night, his acting capo, Georgie Conti, would proceed over uh, sponsoring uh, Joya into the group. Now, I want to make it clear, um, there are two different George Contis associated with the mafia. George Conti, the one we're talking about here, who was a Lucchese member. There's also another George Conti. Jimmy Calandra has referenced him multiple times. He is from Brooklyn and was connected at one point to uh, the Bonanno and Gambino crime families. Uh, we've heard Jimmy mention that. They're two different George Contis. just making that clear. And that, for that matter, there's two different George Zappola's. Georgie Zapola's father uh, was a Genovese member. So as we know, uh, you can get confused with the mafia. So Frank Joy is the man. He's a made member now. He's... Uh, someone who can flaunt around the fact that he's a guy. He's placed in the crew of George Zappola, and he begins to continue his involvement with Ralph Cuomo selling heroin. It's alleged that at one point Frank Joy was making several hundred thousand dollars a year selling heroin. Now, he would eventually make millions selling heroin when he would create a pipeline from Boston into Uh, the New York area. He was not only a drug dealer, but he was a shakedown artist and a hitter for the mafia. He would be called on again by the mob to take care of something. And this would be under the behest of someone he would call his cousin, Frankie Bones Papani. Now, as far as I know, there was no blood relation to Frankie Bones, but they were very close. Um, They were, you know, connected. And I think Papani saw something in Joya. At one point, Frank Papani has a problem. An individual from Brooklyn, a person called Frank, Frankie Blonde Mariconda, began making sexual advances towards Papani's girlfriend, to which Papani wants him dead. So this was a big problem because... You know, Mariconda wasn't a made member of the mafia. He was someone that uh, was just, you know, doing his thing and whatever. He pisses off the wrong guy. And Papani and Frank Joya kill Maraconda in 1992. So this wasn't for money. This wasn't for drugs. This wasn't for anything. This is for disrespecting or trying to get with the girlfriend of a mobster. Probably something you shouldn't do. I would highly recommend you not doing that. Uh, now, what I would also learn about Frank Joya during his mob career is that he acted a bit as a liaison between other families. He would say on multiple occasions he would have meetings with Gregory De Palma, who can be seen here with uh, Frankie Sinatra and you know all sorts of high-ranking people. Look at all those high-ranking people around Greg De Palma. Greg De Palma will do a show on at some point. Uh, he moved around a lot uh, in uh, Westchester County, was big into this place called the Westchester Premier Theater. Um, he was a Gambino Capo. We talked about him in the Agent Jack Falcone episode. Um, now, Frank Joya would also talk about the fact that he would meet on multiple occasions with Junior Gotti. In fact, he would say allegedly he met with Junior Gotti in July of 1992 if he would see him at a funeral. Now, I would learn something interesting about Junior Gotti. According to Frank Joya, at one point he would tell special agents from the FBI, Stephen Byrne and Kevin Hallinan, that not only was Junior involved with the Mafia, but at one point he ordered Michael Mikey Scars D. Leonardo to commit a murder. Now, as we'll find out about Frank Joya, some of his uh, testimony, which we'll find out, um, he would cooperate. and We'll get into why here in just a second. But he was starting to meet some very important people, but this would also create something that throughout his mob career, his speaking would be called into question on whether he was actually telling the truth. Frank Julia met a lot of people in his mob career, Genovese people, Colombo people, Gambino people. Um, He heard a lot of things. He was told about a lot of murders. People like this are incredibly destructive when they do decide to cooperate because they can spill the beans on so many people. Hey, I heard him say this. Hey, I heard him say that. Hey, I know he did this. I know he was told to do that. Now, Frank Joya, remember, was made at the age of 24. His life in the mafia was not very long as a made man. Okay, 1991, he's made. And by 1993, he's arrested. He would be arrested multiple times, in fact. He would be hit with a gun charge in 93, and then out on bail, he'd be hit again. In 1994, or sorry, in 1993, he'd be hit with federal drug charges where the feds would contend that he was moving heroin in a pipeline from Boston into New York. And this is where and how Frank Joy became a very rich man selling drugs. Look, he had been around drugs his entire life. He learned from the best. Remember, it's arguable that he learned from someone that had learned from arguably the greatest drug trafficker in the history of the mob, Joe Beck di Palermo. Okay. So it was very clear that eventually Frank Joy was going to make plenty of money as well. Now, Frank Joy would ultimately get seven years for his involvement with selling heroin. The problem is within a year. Okay, he's up at Otisville, right? And you know his father's still on the street. His father's a made man in the mafia as well. He's very close with his dad. At one point in 1994, while in prison, he gets word from his cousin, a man called Vincent Salinardi. Now Salinardi would eventually be become a made member of the mafia as well. Now Salinardi would take a page right out of his cousin's book. At one point, Salon Hardy would be overheard on wiretap telling a loan shark debtor, quote, if I stick my foot down your fucking throat and break your fucking jaw and forget about the 5,000, you're going to be happy. Make sure you've got the whole balance. You owe me on fucking Friday. You understand? Or fucking Saturday, you're going to be planted in the fucking hospital. He would also tell another customer quote, I'm tired of your fucking stories. I'll break your fucking hole. Salonardi was a tough guy. And down the road, he would become a made member of the mafia. But in 1994, he would relay information to his true blood cousin, Frank Joya that the mafia was planning to kill his father, Frank Joya Sr. From what I understand, Frank Joya Sr. was having a dispute over money with Frank Papani, Frankie Bones. A lot of Franks, I know. Um, So Papani proposes that they kill Frank Joya Sr. They're all made men. He proposes to have him killed. Now Frank Jr. says, "Well, well, hold on. That's my father. I don't really want to be in prison anymore and I don't want you to kill my dad. So guess what? Guess what Frank Joya does? Goes to the feds. Because he believes the threat against his father is very credible Remember, his blood cousin, Vincent Salon, already told him that. And look, let's be real. I don't know the insular knowledge. I don't have that on what actually was the issue here with money. But we can assert that it was a big one. And maybe the mafia was concerned uh, about uh, Joya on other levels. But what they did is they pushed Junior into the arms of the FBI. Now, I guess the mob assumed that young Joya, who's in his 20s, 26 at this point, he can do his time and it's only seven years and he'll be fine. But again, the thought that his father would be killed pushed Joya into the arms of the government. In 1995, he would sign a cooperation agreement and agree to testify against the mafia. Now, in return, the mafia would not only uh, put him in witness protection, but they'd also put the rest of the Joya family in witness protection, including his mother, Mildred, and his sister. Okay, so Frank Joya says, okay, here's what I want. I'll testify. And we would find out, and I'm going to go through a lot of the people Frank Joya put in prison. Frank Joya is probably one of the most destructive mafia rats of all time that nobody talks about. We've talked about this before. The level and the amount of people Frank Joya put away was in the neighborhood of 70 to 80 people. And a lot of them were high-ranking. Frank Joya had a lot of information. Now, some of it, which we'll get into was possibly not credible, but that's something we learned about rats. A lot of the stuff is the truth, but they'll throw things in that aren't true as well. Again, we hear about Gravano and, and, and Mikey Scars and, you know, all these different guys, but Frank Joya, man, was really, really destructive. Um, in the end, he starts talking. And what we start seeing is Lucchese family members start getting indicted. Gambino family members start getting indicted. Colombo people start getting indicted. Genovese people start getting indicted. In fact, when we look back on the over 70 people, Frank Joy was credited at providing information about all five families were involved. And I'll go through each of them. When we look at the Bonanno crime family, some of the information provided led to the arrests and incarcerations of Anthony Spiro, Joe Benanti, Fabrizio Francisci, Tommy Reynolds, Chris Paciello, all connected to the Bonanno crime family. When we look at the Genovese crime family, information from Frank Joya put away people like uh, Dom Carlucci, a Genovese heavyweight. When we look at the Colombo crime family, Joe Waverly did 20 years in prison. Some of the information provided came from Frank Gioia. But I want to get into the really destructive sentences that Frank's cooperation would give and put these people away for. We look back to the night that Frank Gioia was made in 1991. The man that proceeded over his making ceremony was Salvatore Avellino. Ultimately, Sal Avellino in 1994 would plead guilty to conspiracy to commit the murders of two individuals called Robert Kubeka and Donald Barstow. They were uh, involved in the garbage trade. He would be sentenced to 10 years in prison, but due to Frank Joya's involvement, he would get time added to his sentence and be released in 2006. Another man that night that proceeded over Frank Joy's uh, induction ceremony was Anthony Boat Barata. Boat Barata would go to prison because of Frank Joya as well. He would ultimately have and be given a plea deal and get 15 years in prison. Now, while in prison, he'd be hit with more charges, and a lot of them were from Frank Joya. Frank Joya's old mentor, Ralph Cuomo, would be hit pretty hard as well. He would go to prison due to the fact of his involvement of selling narcotics. In the end, Cuomo would get four years in prison and he would die in 2008 from complications from diabetes. As I said, Cuomo's pizzeria Rays would be sold in 2008 for about $6 million. Louis Begles de Donne was hit probably most hard from information from Frank Joya. According to Frank Joya, he would say that Louis Begles was directly involved in the plot to ultimately kill Bruno Facciola. Now, Bruno Facciola would be killed in uh, the 90s. Now, Dayton's lawyers would appeal the case saying that Joah had lied and withheld evidence in his case. They would also say that the information that Joya gave was not credible and that they wanted to use it to impeach him on the witness stand. Louis Begles would ultimately be sentenced to life in prison. He is currently serving time still. His appeals didn't work. Richie the toupee Pagliarulo was also serving life in prison for his involvement with the mafia. Some of the information provided by Frank Gioia was that Pagliarulo helped uh, Louis de Donne plan the murder of Facciola and was also directly involved in the conspiracy. Pagliarulo was given a life sentence and died in prison in 1999. Several other people directly went to prison due to Frank Joya, including Greg De Palma. And down the road, it would actually lead possibly to the cooperation of Mikey Scars. Now, I'm not saying that Frank Joya was the only reason that Scars cooperated, but he did provide information on not only Mikey Scars, but Junior got it. Several of the other people involved in the information that Joya provided, Michael Spinelli would go to prison uh, for being involved with the murder or the, att- not the murder, but the attempted murder of Patricia Capozzola on orders of Anthony Casso. If we remember, to silence her brother, Peter Giotto, Patricia Capozzola was ambushed in front of her home and shot multiple times as he survived but she is forever paralyzed. Michael Spinelli is said to be one of the shooters in that case. Um, He is actually um, someone who was recently released, I believe, as far as I know, and he would take up yoga in prison. Some of the information from uh, Frank Joya led to his conviction. Now, Frank Joya would also do something pretty interesting. He would provide information on a cold case cop killing. Now, in the early eighties, this guy uh, was killed. Um, he was an officer, uh, and his name was Ronald Stapleton in the New York Police Department. Sheepshed Bay, in the seventies, uh, 70s, late seventies, 70s, he was killed uh, in a robbery attempt. Now, according to Frank Joya, this guy, Tony francesi, aka Manny Gonzalez, he changed his name told Frank Joya directly that he was involved with the murder of Ronald Stapleton, Officer Ronald Stapleton. It would lead to his conviction as well. He is serving life in prison. One of the last people I want to discuss that Frank Joya would put away was his cousin or his alleged cousin, the man that drove him to his induction ceremony. He would ultimately be convicted of fraud, extortion, and attempted murder. He would also be convicted on two additional murders. And Joy would tell authorities that he would help Papani ambush and kill Frank Maraconda, the guy who disrespected his girlfriend in a bar. Frank Papani would get 20 years in prison. He would be released in 2015. What he does today, I have no idea. In the end, Frank Joya would testify on many different trials up until the mid-2000s. As I said, he can be credited at providing information on the incarceration or the convictions of up to 80 people. Now, Frank Joya would disappear. He would be credited for time served in 1998. And as I said, we would see him a couple of times in the early 2000s, but he would disappear. In 2002, Frank Joy would turn up again. He would turn up in the very beautiful Scottsdale in Arizona. Now, this is where the story on Frank Joy gets kind of sickening, if we're being honest. We've talked before on why does the federal government forgive people that kill people and sell drugs and hurt people? Why do they give people the benefit of the doubt and give them an opportunity to live a new life? and forgive it just because they put other people away. And after the fact, once they do all this, look, there are success stories. There are plenty of people that cooperate against the mafia and live productive lives after the fact. But We've also seen them not live productive lives. We've seen Sammy Gravano and Frank Pasqua and all these other people do crimes, Gene Borello. They, they all do crimes once they get out of jail. I mean, Frank Joya might be the most notorious on some of the shit he did after his incarceration. Uh, let me get into it. So he turns up in 2002, and he files a license for a business. Um, essentially, he creates a company called Capri Homes. Now he calls it Capri Homes because his new name it witness protection. Is Frank Capri. That's his new name, Frank Capri. Um, Now, Frank Capri says that he is going to essentially become a real estate developer, buying and selling luxury homes. Now, I want to talk about the guy that kind of broke all this. And I have to say, uh, when it comes to investigative journalism, um, Robert Anglin, from Arizona Republic, AZ Central newspaper out in that area, did a terrific job of really uncovering the kind of scumbag that Frank Joya ended up becoming. And you can check out all of his stuff. I included some of his reporting in the description of this video. I attempted to contact Robert Anglin on this. Um, Unfortunately, he wasn't able to get back to me in a good amount of time. Maybe we'll speak to him at some point, but he did some really good reporting on this. He would uncover that, Essentially, uh, Robert Angle would uh, uncover that Frank Joya um, eventually starts buying and selling homes, purchases his own $500,000 home in Scottsdale. He would then begin, through a businessman in Phoenix, franchising indoor children's playgrounds. Now, that business would fail quickly. And by 2007, the real estate market starts going up in flames. We all know the recession that would hit. So Frank Joy has two problems. The playground business is dead. The real estate business is bellying up. So what does Frank Joy say? Well, I can uh, contract people. I'm going to go into the restaurant business, which is exactly what Frank Joy would do. He goes into the restaurant business um, under a company called boomtown entertainment llc and what his goal was is he was going to partner with contractors and other developers in essentially building bars using naming rights from popular country artist toby keith now the bars would be called i love this bar and grill now if you know anything about toby keith he had a smash hit called i love this bar you have probably heard it at a bar or something Toby Keith was not directly involved in any building or any ownership of this. All he did was license his naming rights on the bar. Now, Frank Joya's goal was he wanted to open 40 different locations around the country. Now, by 2007, he had actually opened 20 different locations and had planned under Boomtown Entertainment to open 20 more. And initially, this was something that was successful, right? Things start working out. Um, The problem for Frank Capri is by 2007, these bars are opening up. Frank has a beef with his ex. She hires a private investigator over child support and things like that. Private investigator finds out that Frank Capri is Frank Joya, a mob hitman and drug dealer. And this is the major problem with what the feds do. Okay. They delete the history of a criminal and put him into America somewhere and let the same guy who killed people and sold drugs and connived people in the mafia and just says, well, they can operate. We're going to race their past. So no one knows about it. And they do their dirt. And this is why Frank Joya and people like him are allowed to operate because the feds delete his information and he can run ragged. So Frank Joya is uncovered through this private investigator. Now, the custody case would ultimately be settled, um, but this case is sealed. Frank Joya, over the next subsequent years, begins operating and owning these uh, restaurants, and he's becoming a big time developer. Things are working out for him. Um, The plan was to continue to open restaurants across the country. The problem was his other businesses were falling flat on their face. Many of his indoor playgrounds were now shut down in different cities around Arizona like Mesa and Chandler, and developers would actually file a lawsuit against Capri claiming that his company defrauded and failed to pay rent in the area of about $225,000, those lawsuits would ultimately be settled. Now, the problem was his family was falling apart. His questions on his identity pop up after the records were um, kind of out there and that he lied about being in the witness protection program. And by 2013, 2014, most of his I love this bar restaurants are going belly up as well. In 2013, a Dallas, Texas mall owner would obtain a $1.4 million judgment against Frank Capri and his company, according to the Arizona Republic, claiming they failed to pay rent on a Toby Keith restaurant that opened in 2012. That same restaurant was shut down just a year later, starting a chain of multiple closures around the country. By 2015, it must be made clear, every one of the restaurants up until one of them would close. All of the restaurants will go belly up. And what essentially Frank Capri was doing was he would get developers to pay him upfront fees and then take all the money that was meant for construction and rent and other things and fund a very ostentatious lifestyle all nice cars, beautiful homes, whatever he wanted. He was a fraudster. He was a scam artist. Now, within 18 months, as I said, all the restaurants closed up until one. Now, his companies were accused in multiple lawsuits of, A, failing to pay rent, stiffing contractors, and walking off with money meant to pay for the development of the restaurants. Now, by 2017, when the Arizona Republic reporting came out, it's alleged that Frank Capri and his company stole in the area of about $65 million. Now, currently, Frank Capri has $3.2 million in liens placed on properties and things that he owns. Now, remember, he still has not been arrested for anything. These are all civil lawsuits. These are, hey, this guy owes me money, but there's no criminal cases built just yet on Frank Capri. Now, what's fucking crazy about Frank Capri is he doesn't stop. Yes, he's under all these judgments. He's probably going to face the fact that someone's going to come calling criminally at some point, but that does not stop Frank Capri. Eventually, In 2017, a company opens up called RF Restaurants. Now, the goal was to partner with another naming rights from Rascal Flats, a popular country band, to open restaurants around the country. One would ultimately open in Connecticut. Now, the proprietors of RF Restaurants, the company, was a woman called Tawny Costa. And guess who Tawny Costa is? The girlfriend of Frank Capri. Now, this was a front, so Frank Capri could start making more money so he could pay back the people he already owed. Sounds like a Ponzi scheme to me, doesn't it? Um this guy just doesn't learn. He just keeps doing more and more dirt. Ultimately, in January of 2020. The federal government would hit Frank Capri with a 16-count wire fraud and money laundering indictment. Now, also arrested was his mother. Frank Capri, now what are you going to do? His mother is arrested, and he has to face the long possibility that he's going to try to weasel out of yet of another criminal indictment because, you know, he he can because he's an informant. But who's he going to testify against, right? His mom? Who else could he testify against? Frank uh, Gioia has run out of people to testify against. He would ultimately be hit with these charges. And at one point, the person involved in bringing this indictment, a U.S. attorney called Monica Edelston would say about Frank Capri, quote, he has used multiple elaborate schemes to get property developers in dozens of cities to give him millions of dollars for construction costs that he pocketed rather than utilize to build restaurants, as he agreed. Now, the feds would allege between 2008 through last year, when this was written, uh, in 2020, Capri allegedly raked in more than $64 million by contracting to build restaurants named for famous country music artists in Arizona and almost 50 other cities across the country. According to Edelstein, he failed to fulfill the overwhelming majority of these contracts and diverted significant portions of the funds for his own personal use. I mean, the balls on this guy. Now, in order to maintain his lifestyle, when the Toby Keith scheme dried up, he would then do another scheme And his girlfriend, Tawny Costa, was the namesake. Now, Tawny Costa was not charged in this. According to multiple reports, he would allegedly desert her and her two sons, uh, and she was never ultimately charged in this. Um, But Frank Capri's mother was charged. His sister was supposed to be involved. And in the end, he has to pay back nearly $20 million. He was also hit with a five-year prison sentence. Frank Capri, a.k.a. Frank Joya, currently sits in a halfway house in Phoenix, Arizona. He is scheduled for release in 2023. We'd have to uh, think that Frank Joya, a.k.a. Frank Capri, will be hit with some long supervised release requirements. But the question remains, A, how is he going to pay back the 20-plus million in restitution that he needs to pay back, and what will he do next to earn a living? He's become a multiple-level fraudster on multiple levels. What will he do next? This is the question about the people that the government decides to do business with, people like Frank Joya. When you erase the history of these people, the people that then do business with them are unsuspecting. Remember, Frank Joy was very sparse on what he provided to businessmen. He would just say, I was from, I'm from Long Island. I'm from New York. Now, we have to ask ourselves, where did he get some of the money that he used to finance some of the early projects that he had? And he did it perfectly. He did legitimate projects early on. Things started bellying up. And then he started saying, you know what? I can't make money, so I'm going to just fraud my way through things. The long and winding road of Frank Joya, one of the most destructive mob informants over the last thirty years, one that people won't talk about, but his continued thievery after his cooperation really has to call the government into question. Why they are not looking more into these people? Why do they allow people like Gene Borello and Frank Joya and Frank Pasqua and all these different guys? to continue committing crime? Why does he only get essentially a year or two in prison for this stuff? And the question remains, what will Frank Joya do now to make a living? Because on multiple fronts, he has defrauded people and made it clear his true identity. He had hoped to go out to Arizona and start a new life, just like another uh, person we've talked about on this channel, Sammy Gravano, but like his predecessor, Joya delved into criminality. Yet again. My advice to Frank Joya. Frank, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. You'll probably see this. Most people watch our videos. I've been contacted by many of them. I'm offering you something, Frank. Why don't you start a YouTube channel? I'll interview you. I'll be your first interview. I'll come out to Arizona and we can sit down and speak. Maybe you can make money that way. It's legit. You can make some cash. We'll see. That's probably your only option, Frank, at this point. That said, I hope you enjoy the show, everybody. Thank you for watching. Um, definitely a guy not a lot of people know about, but I thought the story was worthy. As far as I know, Frank Joy's family is still around. His father's still around. He's in WITSEC as well. We, all, we obviously know of Richard Cantarelli. He's out in Arizona as well with his family. Arizona, Florida, that's the places the mob informants go. Can't blame them. Good weather. That's that for the show today. Uh, next week, got a brand new show coming out. A pretty interesting interview I'm going to be doing. Pretty enticing. I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, so we'll, we'll look forward to that next week. Got a lot of cool things coming up here with the show, continuing to build, continuing to add to what we're doing. Uh, as I said, make sure you hit that like button, make sure you subscribe. It's never miss a sit down video. I am um, your host, Jeff Nader. We'll see you next week here on the show.